Yo, what up? It's Moon from Greek Fire, and you're listening to the Blues Hockey Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host Jason, along with Chris. Yo, and uh, it's been a minute since we've uh, been on. Unfortunately, like the timing is really sucks being a podcaster sometimes because we recorded Sunday before the Kings game. Because mm-hmm. and then the yo thing broke, and then I felt like our last podcast we recorded was dated, and then um, our schedules didn't match up. So it's been a minute since we've done this. So. Apologies for that. So we're going to catch up on a ton of Blues news, a ton of Blues games, mostly bad. Uh, Chris Chris and me pre- correctly predicted how last we could go, just not the games we'd win. Right. Uh, we said they go one and three. They went one and three. But um, not yeah. the game we thought was the one was the one. Yeah. So the Blues are in a uh, free fall. They're right now th- – and number 30 out of 31 teams. Not great. Yeah. Uh, pretty much playing 500 hockey ever, you know, right now. Awesome. Win one, lose a couple. Win two, looks like they're turning the corner. Lay an egg. Come back, play a really good game. Lay another egg. Uh, it's real frustrating, and so it led to our big news. Uh, Mike Yo finally getting fired after the Blues play a very uninspiring game against the last place team in the league, the LA Kings. Yeah. Getting shot, out, getting shot out by a goalie um, who's only playing his fifth regular, fourth regular season game, his second in four nights. Um, really bad to say the least. So Mike Yo is canned. Um, pretty much eleven o'clock that night. I think I, I think I, our little contest winner was. Uh, I put it on there. We had a little contest going of when Mike Yo is going to get fired after the game. People were saying next day. I saw it to be the next day. Oh, I got the press conference time right at least, but. Mike Yo fired eleven about eleven o'clock after the game that night. I figured they were going to fire him that night. I mean, you've got our everybody at the arena. Why wait? Why wait to do the inevitable? I mean, look, as you and I have said too many times this season, I don't mind losing, but when you play uninspired hockey, and when you can't beat the last place team in the league. Granted, you're the second to last place team in the league, but this is still a team below you. Mm-hmm. When when you can't not only beat them, but you can't score a goal against them, it, it's time. Yeah, and, I, guess a, I guess a guy who technically their fourth string goalie. Yeah. Because they had injuries to Jonathan Quick, Peter Budai, and Jake uh, Jack Campbell. All injured. And they're playing your fourth guy, a guy who spent time in the ECHL to start this year, and you get yeah. shot off by him. We want to talk about games that have been rock bottom, and there's been many of those. We thought, we, thought we hit it numerous times already. Uh, I I don't know how much lower you get than this. I mean, honestly, I don't know how you do. You just got shut out by the last place team in the league, as you said, versus uh, the fourth string goalie 
who's playing two games in four nights, who's started the season, not even the in the NHL, and you are a team who is at the cap, and you can't put one past this dude. Yeah, my, also, it was the first uh, National League shutout for uh, their goalie, Peter and Cal Peterson. Also, the first NHL goal for Matt Luff, who got his first. So, a lot of firsts for them that game. And so, you're basically getting, you know, scored upon by a guy who gets his first of the year. I mean, uh, Kopitar got an empty netter with 30 seconds left, so that really doesn't count. Yeah, but, I mean, you're getting basically, by they're, after this game, you're there's seven, 12 and one and you're seven, nine and three. So, I mean, you, you're not that far off of them really by a game. Really think about it. Yeah. The only reason you're not in last place is because the game's in hand. Yeah. Uh, so that is a, uh, not great to say the least. So blues no, lose not, to LA Kings. It's not what you want to leave your resume with. Yeah. So blues lose the Kings. Like that's about the only, that's no highlights from that game to even talk about. Sadly no, enough. There's really not. So Mike Yo is canned. Press conference the next day. Uh, Craig Brube is the interim coach. Uh, he did that. When I watched his press conference, maybe I don't know how you viewed it. When they, they, Ruby's had a couple things to say, and he was out. He basically said, "I'm a fair coach. I'm demanding, but fair. You know, I'm here to get this team back on track and whatever." And then they said, "Oh, he's got practice," so and they let him go. And he was only he only had maybe two or three minutes, maybe five minutes total. Yeah. Um, so they went to Doug Armstrong and uh, part of me wants to be like, okay, well maybe he was a little more like, I don't know, poignant than he normally is, but he said the same thing he has done in the last four. He's fired four coaches at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, he's he Davis, Davis Payne or three coaches, Davis Payne, uh, Ken Hitchcock, and now Mike, Yo. after during the Hitchcock one where he was like crying and all over, you know, all over the place. He said, this is on the players. It's time to hold the players accountable. And same thing he says again. Well, yeah. What I got out of this, two things that I took away from this press conference. Number one, I think Mike Yo's fate was sealed when the blues lost that home game, the end of last year against Chicago. The infamous one where they cut to the press box in time to watch Armstrong roll his eyes and get up out of his chair. Yeah, which that was brought up during the press conference. That was brought up as well as them losing to Washington at home on a game where they had nothing to play for. Uh, they win either one of those games, they're in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I think that is where um, Mike Yo's fate was ultimately sealed. Short of them entering the season and just blowing the doors off people and keeping it going. Um, the second thing that I took away from this, and, and I've always been a Doug Armstrong guy, but, but this one made me question his, um, I don't want to say integrity, but his willingness to actually do things was, um, you know, and you just talked about it. Again, in this press conference, he talks about the core players in this team. You know, the core group, and I think this time what he said was the equity that these players have built is now gone. And basically saying that if these players don't produce, he will make big changes and big trades. And uh, I think you said it was – I couldn't tell who it was. I think you said you saw it was Rutherford who yes, go ahead. Uh, called, called uh, Armstrong out and said, 
Yeah, you said this exact same thing two years ago when you fired Ken Hitchcock. And you could see it rattle Armstrong. Then he goes, oh, well, I don't remember saying that, but if you say I did, then I'm sure I did. Um, And he did. He has said that twice now. And I think that whether it be because Armstrong has given away so many no trade or no movement clauses or whatever, I think he is handcuffed. And I think that to a point, and obviously there's no such thing as a non-movable contract at the end of the day, um, but I think to a degree we have a GM that is held hostage by a team that he created that he has given too many, um, that's what I'm looking for, uh, too many awards and too many caveats in their contracts to where he can't do much. Yeah, well, too many handouts, really. Yeah. Um, so I don't know where this team goes, man. I, I really don't because l- let's just talk about the core of this team. Yeah, and he pointed out said the core is not two or three guys. He said seven to eight guys. So right, try to pin that he, he broke the team down into three groups. He said that you've got your your rookies, your core group, and your veterans. So mm-hmm. by that definition, he's not including people like Jay Bowmeister in the core group. No, he he's calling Jay Bowmeister a veteran. What I say is the core group, Allen, um, scenes of uh, Franco, um, maybe David Perron, even though he's been here three times, um, you know. Brayden Shen? Yeah, I can see that. Call some of these guys core players where they haven't even been here two years. Yeah, it's, I mean, you like. Is there a Riley a core guy? I don't. Man, I mean, maybe in his view now, maybe it is because that's why he traded for him. He's in, he's here for like, what, five more years on his contract? So maybe that's why he is yeah. a, considered a core guy. I mean, if you're breaking down the groups, I guess, he, he kind of doesn't fit really the veteran group. And he definitely is not the rookie group. Right. So, and that's my thing is like, He's certainly not one of those two. You know, Tyler Bozak, he's not a rookie, but he's not a veteran. So As I would lean more towards veteran, but, I mean, I'm trying to think of who the veteran is. I guess you'd think, like, Gunnarsson, Bo Meester, um, I don't know where Steen falls. I don't know if Steen's considered veteran now or if he's considered part of the – I don't think he's part of the core. I think he's more of the veteran. I would put him towards the veteran side, to be honest. Yeah. Honestly. So, like you said, broken down to those three groups – a couple and the other couple of things, like you said, the patience thing is thin. Um, for right now, they said for the coach, it looks like Brube is there for at least the time being. Uh, Larry Robinson, who was in a, a kind of a consultant position, has gone behind the bench for they said for the time being. He said three weeks to a month. So I don't, and then they're going to look to see who they want to possibly put down there. Steve Ott moved down there. I saw last Correct. game. So I don't know if that's going to be kind of a thing. Maybe Larry Robinson moves out of there. I'm not really sure. Um, 
like you said, Armstrong's the one who kind of created everything. Did this not only did this group went with a very young coaching staff, Steve Ott, who was a player and went right into coaching. Mike Van Ryan, who only had one year of coaching. Well, AHL coaching. He only had one year there. Uh, he only he had some mid some uh, I think e, not ECHL, QHL, maybe QMHL. Anyway, didn't have too much experience. And then you had Barube and Yo, and that's it. And then all the other guys behind the scenes were pretty young. So maybe it, like that's part of it. It's, I don't know. And then just the group of guys you look on paper should be pretty solid, but this just not gelling right now. I they either score, let up a ton, or they can't score and they lock it down. I mean, it's one of the, unfortunately it's one way or the other. It seems like with this group, you know, I have always been a proponent of players need to pull their weight and coaches always end up paying the price for the sins of players. This may be one of the few times where I put this squarely on the coach's shoulders. You know, you look at the team that this that, that Mike Yo inherited. He got a team that was a year removed from the Western Conference Final. The year before he took over, they went to the Western Conference Final. Yep. Um, they obviously stumbled out of the gates of the 50th anniversary year to the point where, you know, at the halfway mark, we're trying to figure out, is this team going to make the playoffs? Yep, because they, they were barely out of the playoffs at the time. They were right. Yeah, they were close, but they're out technically. We were calling the Winter Classic a must-win. Yeah. Um, they do sneak into the play- playoffs. They think largely to Jake Allen win the first round of the playoffs. Um. Yeah. Get yep, and then missed the playoffs last year, and are bottoming out this year. I I look at Mike Yo much the way that Cardinals fans look at Mike Matheny. He inherited a team that, while Matheny inherited a team that won the World Series, Yo inherited a team that was this close to going to the Stanley Cup final and, and honestly did nothing with it positively. You can look at, for, at the point where Mike Yo took this team over and there was that initial bump when he took over that righted the ship enough for them to make it to the playoffs. And then you have the first 20 games of last year where they were on fire. But I would say from about this date last year to now, you're looking at a team that has played at best 500 hockey. At best. Yeah, I think it's actually below. I have to look at the stats off the other day, but yeah, I think they were like two games below 500. Yeah. And that's not acceptable for any team let alone a team with this caliber of talent and a team that has shown what it's capable of doing. And spending to the cap. Yeah. And and, and look, yes, we all know that there are lingering problems on this team, but you cannot lay this at any one player's feet. You can't lay this at goaltending's feet. You can't lay this at the defense's feet. You can't lay this 
at the offense's feet. Because the fact of the matter is, especially this season, this team will go on stretches where they score four and five goals and lose eight to five. And then they'll go on a stretch where they're only giving up one goal a game, but they can't score to save their lives. So it's almost like the two sides can't get on the same page up until the point that they do for like one or two games. And when they do, you get those games like that game against Toronto, that game against Chicago, that game we're going to talk about against Nashville, where you're like, holy crap, man, this team is incredible. But we've had three of those in 20-plus games. Three. Yeah, which is not great. And uh, you need more than that to make the playoffs. Because right now, usually the mark of, like, if you're going to get in the playoffs is, like, the U.S. Thanksgiving, which we just had. Yep. And um, I think it's, like, 78% of teams that have a playoff spot at that time make the playoffs. Last year was the first year where it was kind of, like, a lot of teams bucked the trend. One was because we sucked so bad and fell out of a spot, and Minnesota took over, and Colorado took over last year. Um but five teams that weren't in the playoff spot at Thanksgiving made the playoffs last year. Uh, three in the West and two in the East. So it's a, yeah, obviously possible. There's still, pl- there's still plenty of time. Like, I mean, as much as we bitch about things, there's still 50-plus games. Yeah. So so we're going to get into the games real quick. I mean, at the end of the day, the U.S. press conference, it was a lot of the same crap. Um, and it's getting thin with me. And like, me and you were – like one of the people who are kind of like, you know, Doug Armstrong, maybe you know, maybe you want to say apologist or fans or whatever you want to call it. But I, I was more frustrated with the press conference than I thought I'd be um, just basically. Cause he said, like he said, he said they're all the same stuff. And when he got called out on it, he stumbled around in a, a lot of nervous laughter. It was, yeah. completely, it was a completely different tone compared to the Hitchcock one. Hitchcock one is very somber and you get like a general sadness around it. Like you can tell like this really like weight on him. And to me, like, this one just seemed like, oh, just business. It didn't seem like it was like. Do you think part of this is because Yo was obviously Armstrong's pick to coach? Mm -hmm. And it was a obvious failure from the jump. Yeah. Do you think that he's trying to just make it go away as fast as he can? It could be. I mean, uh, I think if that, that, that was the case, he should have done it two weeks ago. If I mean, you should I, this, I, mean, I I don't – the whole Mike Yo thing to me, from his introduction into the club as the, well, he's our next head coach. We're just going to make him share a bench with, with Hitchcock. Which, which was awkward to start. It was a, it was a failure. Really weird to begin with. Up through the fact that I think we held on to him two weeks too long. None of it made sense, man. Yeah. None of it, like, he never, to me, seemed to be a good fit for this team. He just didn't. And I'm sure that he's a fine coach. And I have friends of mine who are Minnesota Wild fans who say that, you know, the team quit on him in Minnesota. and And that could be. I don't think this team quit on him. I think that he might be one of those coaches that knows one style of hockey. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't have players that fit that style, he doesn't know how to adapt. And gotcha. that's what my concern is. 
Yeah. Um, and the only thing, yeah, the other quote is I didn't really like when they said Craig Brube is in tune with today's athlete. And I was like, he doesn't look like a guy that's in tune with today's athlete. I don't mean he could hundred percent could be, he just seems old. Uh, he seems like a place fill placeholder and I, no offense. Like unless the blues turn us around and go like 40, 45 and three, the rest of the way, which I don't think is going to happen or whatever the hell many games they have left. I don't think Rube is really around. Um, the other thing that came out of the press conferences that, oh, the other thing that came out of the press conference was uh, one of the writers asked, didn't say the name, but basically asked, like, wow, so your coaching search, is it going to be, what's it going to be? Is it one particular coach you're still going after, or how's it going to go? And Armstrong pretty much was like, we're looking all over the place. We're going to look European coaches, coaches who used to coach in NHL minor league guys, uh, college guys. I mean, anywhere yeah. they're going to they're cast a wide net. So, well, uh, who knows I, I how that's going to go? I mean, we all know we've been talking about it for, sadly enough, we talked about it for the last couple episodes that Joel Quinville is available. And I just think you need a guy who commands respect at this point. Not, not saying nobody else can do that, but when you have a guy who's won in the new NHL, yep. you know, I three agree. cups, I think you need to go there. I, I think that, you, we need, and it's been shown now, you need a Ken Hitchcock-type figure. You need someone who's going to come in and crack the whip and get players to play. Um, you know, I, I get why Doug Armstrong said what he said about the coaching search. The thing that I did like is he said at that press conference, this will be the last time we discuss the coaching search with you until I'm sitting at a table introducing a head coach whether that be Craig Berube or whoever. Um, and I like that because that's not fair to the team. It's not fair to Berube or anyone else if they're having to listen to updates on coaching searches every three days. Now, if you don't think the Blues have, have been talking or at least put the initial call into Quinville before they fired Yo, you are high. I'm sure there has been talks with him. My concern is, do the Blues want to pony up the money it's going to take to get Joel Quinville in St. Louis? Because he's going to cost a lot more than Mike Yo did. Yeah, because you're thinking uh, the estimated number here is you're going to have to pay Chicago, let's say, all his salary that he's owed left. So he's owed approximately $10 million left because he has this year and next year left. Yep. So there's 10 mil there. You're going to pay the rest of Yo's salary for this year and next year, which – Estimated probably about three ish million, in my guess. Because I know he, I heard he was on the low end of the coaching scale. So I'm guessing three mil, let's say four mil, just so I can have a better number. So there's 14 mil right there. And then you're going to have to pay Quinville a good chunk of money to be here. Let's say he wants the same contract, say four years, let's say three years at six million, 18 mil. So 18, 14, there's $32 million just to get the coach you want. Which is it a lot of money. We're not, that's not Toronto. It's not, we're not Toronto who could just throw money around like that because Babcock is the highest paid goal, uh, the goalie coach right now behind Quinville. So I don't know. I mean, look, as fans, it's easy for us to sit back and go, well, yeah, do it. Just spend the money. Well, okay. That money's got to come from somewhere. You know, at the end of the day, this is still a business and there's operating costs. So if you're going to take that money, Where's it coming from? You're yeah. talking about raising ticket prices again. But people You're are getting pissed about, already, so. Yeah. 
because you're not selling out games right now. Because here's the thing. If you go get Quinville, let's say that this team stays exactly the same through the end of the year and next year. There's no big changes aside from draft picks and whatever. And then you pick up Quinville. You're looking at, as you said, another $14 million just to get Yo off the books, Q out of his deal in Chicago, then another $6, 7000000 million a year in salary for him. All that money's got to be accounted for from somewhere. Yep. And this is the team who's already spending to the cap. Also remember, this is a team with a horrible arena deal when it comes to parking and concessions. Yep. As is, I believe, at least for the next two four years. years two two years. or three years. Yeah, it's, it's getting close. They don't really make dollar one in profit unless this team gets into the playoffs and they don't really turn much of a profit unless they get two rounds deep. So you're asking a team that already operates on a razor-thin profit margin to spend another upwards of $25-plus million just to get a coach. And that doesn't guarantee that we're going to get a cup. Now, I, I will say, in defense of the spend, as you said, they're not selling out games now. And as you saw in that Nashville game and that Winnipeg game this week, and granted, it's a holiday weekend. People had things to do with their family. There were a lot of empty seats in that arena. Yep. I think I saw something like the sellouts as of Thanksgiving, the last like five years, and um, are above 17,000, I think it was. And like every year it was like seven games, six games, four games. Because traditionally – the Blues never really did well the first two months of the year due to the Cardinals always being very, very good and right. going deep in the playoffs. So that's where everybody's, everybody's focus in St. Louis was with the Cardinals in the playoffs and how deep they're going. And so the Blues never traditionally did good in October, November as it was. Um, but they haven't had it the last couple of years. So you're trying to capitalize on it, and they haven't. And they only had two uh, crowds of 17,000, and one was opening night. Yeah. So you're talking – People are going away because people are getting fed up. And mm-hmm. and, he, and he said Stillman was angry. I mean, he said angry as a fan. He said he wasn't like, like I don't know. He, it was a weird description that Armstrong gave. You got to think, he's pissed. At the end of the day, he's still a businessman. He wants oh, to make yeah. money. Oh, sure. He's and you're spending, his, and you're spending his money and throwing it out. I mean, obviously, he's getting the okay from Stillman to get these contracts out. But at the same time, Stillman's trusting this guy with his money for how many years now? And you haven't got us anything but the Western Conference Finals where, oh, honestly, where were we in that? Where were we really in that one against the Sharks? Not really. I mean, you could tell they were tired. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you're talking about you spent all this money, you've shipped players in and out, and you still haven't got anything to show for it. Mm-hmm. So, eventually – and yet he's got another contract extension. So it's starting to get to the point where he's got to put up or shut up. Um, he said core players are going to get shipped out if something if things don't turn around. Well, I don't know. My my question to that would be, what's your time frame on that? Yeah, he did not say. He did not say, but uh, he uh, 
I did think it was interesting on some stuff popped up right after the press conference within a couple of days, national guys picked up and said that the blues were not happy with Tarasenko and basically saying, um, you know, they thought he'd be, when he had the contract, he thought he'd be progressing. All he had done is technically regress. Uh, uh, I did see today on Elliot Freeman's 31 thoughts in his article. He kind of, he said he got a text from a former blues player saying that all the blame is shouldn't be on Tarasenko, but he's not blameless. He just an easy, he's just an easy scapegoat is what the, the text said. I'm I, really curious to see who that is. So the former blues player. So you try to think of who possibly would be, I don't know. I mean, it could be a lot of guys, unfortunately. So I'm kind of curious who's kind of sticking up for Tarasenko there. My thing with Tarasenko is you remember a few years ago, when he had the, what was it, a hip injury or a knee injury? Um, hip injury, I'll say. I don't think he's ever been right since. Where he had that big injury and he was kind of like, yeah, he might have been a knee. I thought it was a hip. I could be wrong. Regardless, we'll just go with the old, old-fashioned old hockey term of lower body injury. To me, he has never been the same player since that injury. I don't know if there's something that is permanently wrong there. And mm-hmm. the blues have just never disclosed it for obvious reasons. Or Tarasenko's never disclosed it for obvious reasons. But he's not the player he was before that injury. Yeah, now, it seems, yeah, it seems uh you know, yeah, he hasn't got him a forty since then. He's still a great player. I mean, look, he had a season of what thirty-eight, and then last season was thirty-three. I think. Sorry, say it one more time, sir. I think what he had a, a season of thirty-nine or thirty-eight, and then last season was thirty-three. Yes. Um. So, look, he's still a phenomenal goal scorer. What What I see the difference in is he is far more prone to make the pass now than he is to take the shot. And he's far more prone to dish off than he is to skate into those dirty areas and put the shot in than he was before the injury. You don't see him trying to split defense or trying to do some of the things he did off the boards that he did prior to that injury. And I don't know if there is a medical issue. I don't know what it is. I don't think it is a, it is a desire or drive thing. I don't. Because you saw the way that he was standing in and trying to block shots uh, a couple weeks ago at the, yeah. end, at the end of the game. So the guy still has the fire. But I agree. I, I think that there is something wrong with Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, I mean, he's had pretty decent talent around. I mean, he had the Shen Schwartz line early last season. He seemed to be doing well to start the season, and that fell off. Um, this year he's had O'Reilly. It seems like O'Reilly, he's working a lot harder, which I think is great. Uh, yeah. You can tell, like, both ends of the eyes, he's trying to maybe be a more complete player. So I don't know if that's maybe focusing too much for him, focusing too much on trying to be more of a complete player than being kind of like, old school eighties Brett Hall guy where it's like he could score a bunch, but the defense really wasn't there. I kinda I don't know, man. We got enough guys to play defense. I'm kind of the point where I'd like to get some goals. 
Uh, you know the but, one uh, thing that he needs to learn how to do, honestly, from an offensive side that sh- that shocks me is, is he is that dude can't shoot a one timer. Because mm-hmm. a lot of teams know he's going to settle it and shoot it, so they got time. So when that pass is coming, they know he's not going to one time it. Yeah, Even when he's on his proper wing too, which is crazy. Yeah, I I don't get it. I don't know how you could be that skilled of a player, and in, in, in the NHL, and, and not have a competent one timer. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. So the press conference is over. Craig Rube is behind the bench. The Blues move on to uh, they go to a home and home against Nashville around the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, they play Nashville. Uh, let's just say they really weren't in it the whole time. The effort was there, but it was very clear who the better team was. It was uh, there was a lot more hitting. Yeah, you can say that much. There's a lot of uh, maybe sticking up for each other type thing. I guess that's kind of like a Brube type thing. I think that's the kind of player he was. So maybe that's kind of why the you kind of take the attitude of your coach when you play. Yeah. Uh, so the only positive that came out of this game is Robert Thomas got his first NHL goal off of a steal and a pass from Braden Shin. So that was cool to see, but. It's just the mistakes that are killing this team, like the Philip Forsberg goal, where um, the shorthanded goal that he, Robbie Fabry just telegraphed a pass at the point, and Forsberg was off and had an easy breakaway goal. Yeah. Um, Austin Watson got his first of the year. Ryan Ellis got his first of the year. Another shorthanded goal. So I mean, you're talking. He pulled the, that was, a, was that empty netter. Yeah, that was a, the Ryan Ellis one was an empty netter. It was like he, people uh, lost their mind because. Brewery pulled, pulled the goalie with like what four minutes left, five minutes yeah, left, five five minutes left. The Blues are on a power play, so you figured like they said he needed a goal, and that's what. And then the, the Blues didn't do anything with it. I, I look at it this way: like this team is so far down in the standings that to me, every game is like a playoff game. At this point, what does it matter if you lose by two or three? You know, yeah, you I mean, need goals and you need wins. Yeah. So the Blues, they the national game did not go well so they come home after the break and desperately need a desperately need a win here and like like we talked about probably played their best game of the year and we'll talk about this game because it's such it's so interesting when they play the game that they're kind of built to play how good they are it's ridiculous it's it's ridiculously dumb on how great they look this first period Barbashev scores on a, a two-on-one with a Jordan Schmaltz. or turns into a three-on-one. Jordan Schmaltz with the assist from Barbashev a second at the 9:26 mark. Ryan O'Reilly gets his 11th from Blay and Petrangelo about four minutes later. So two nothing, looking great. Uh, the Blues unfortunately give a power play goal to Nick Bonino uh, with about a couple minutes after that. But Brain Shen comes back and st- mind you, this play was made by Pat Maroon. Excuse me, floor hockey legend Pat Maroon. And he started this uh, thing with Eckholm behind the net and he got hit up high and was pissed and was just going after Eckholm and like slashing him and punching him. And they both are going at each other and Eckholm got distracted going to the bench. So he's slow going to the bench. So the national defensive could not jump on and uh, Braden Chen was able to steal the puck and go in on a breakaway and score. Yeah. And, so it was a pretty great – that was more made by Pat Maroon. I'll take anything away from Braden Shen there, scoring on the breakaway. But Pat Maroon really made this play. Another guy who's doing really well uh, with the what it, the chances he's given. Zach Sanford gets his fourth of the year from O'Reilly and uh, Tarasenko, like just 36 seconds in off a nice pass from O'Reilly from the, his zone uh, to a streaking Sanford who goes 
uh, top corner short side on uh, Yuri Saros. Uh, Fabry gets his second of the year from Thomas off of kind of like a uh, scramble in front. Brain Shen with a really nice uh, goal, uh, not goal, but a play here where he basically looks like he holds on the puck just long enough and Petrangelo swoops in, has a wide open net, gets his fourth of the year, like I said, from Shen and Thomas. Uh, ends up Ryan Hartman gets a nice uh, goal here at the end for Nashville. The Blues win 6-2. to two. Like we say, one of the most complete games they had. Allen looked great. Uh, he's looked great for the last four or five games. Posting, uh, Allen looked really good. Yeah, he's uh, at about a 9-22, 9-24 save percentage in his last uh, four games. You know, this is a game where there was a fight off the opening puck drop. Mm-hmm. There was a fight about four minutes after that. And it was Pat Maroon the start and then uh, Braden Chen later on. And then fan favorite David Perron puts one off the crossbar. Yeah. Like you could tell from the jump, this team was not going to be denied a victory. These are the same two teams who played 48 hours earlier in Nashville. And it looked and like they flipped places. Right. Well, and the thing was, like, you saw the, the effort with the Blues, but you could see just how better Nashville was than St. Louis. 48 mm-hmm. hours go by, and the Blues, if you showed Friday's game to somebody and only prefaced it with, I'm going to show you a game between the best team in the NHL right now and the second-to-last-place team in the league. I want you to tell me which one is which. I would bet you that 99% of those people would say St. Louis is the best team in the league. That's how dominant they were over Nashville that game. And Mm -hmm. there's no reason why that should have been any different than Wednesday. I don't understand what it is about this team that they can look so inept against the team and then turn around two days later, play the exact same team, and look like there's nobody on planet Earth who could beat them. It makes no sense to me at all. I don't get it. Yep, and the thing that doesn't make sense is the next game. So they play they play win a game. And it just by the way was awful. Footnote, footnote on that Nashville game: the Blues' first Central Division win against a team that isn't the Chicago Blackhawks since February. February of last year, right? Yeah, it was bad. It was like they were like three thirteen and six or something. It was something crazy. I have to look at the exact stats, but it was something bad. So they get, they finally, you think they're going to, once again, is this team ready to turn a corner? And no, we're not going to go into everything here. Let's just say it was a record-breaking uh, game for some player. Yeah. A record, not record-breaking, but uh, somebody up in Canada, for, there's a there's a uh, supermarket in Canada that has a deal, or basically they have a guy, uh, have a person every game say, hey, if a Winnipeg Jets player scores three goals, you get a hundred dollar gift card to our store. If they score four goals, you get a thousand dollars. If they score five, one player scores five goals in a game, you get one million dollars. So uh, you're welcome. I think it was I think it's Christopher Haley. I think was his name. Um, 
you're welcome for that because we uh, let Patrick Laine score five goals on five shots, 100% shooting percentage. How many? Five shots, five goals. And how? what is that now? How, how do you count that out? One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> oh, man. It was oh, it, like just watching that game. And mind you, the first period was pretty even. In the last four minutes, there was four goals, two by each team. Crazy yeah. plays. I mean, Vladimir Tarasenko breaks his scoreless streak of 10 games, gets a goal after Vetsack Sanford lays a good size hit. A great goal. Yeah, two goals. Go, I mean, two to two going into the second period. And you're thinking, like, wow, it's a pretty even game. The Blues are playing a team that really, really, did really well last year, went to the Western Conference Finals. So let's see how things turn out. And then it just, when the wheels fell off, man, Chad Johnson probably had his first really bad game with the St. Louis Blues, and he just looked like the Buffalo version of Chad Johnson. Yeah. And just let in a couple stinkers. Mind you, the defense wasn't much better. Like the line fifth goal, mind you, this guy scored four goals against you in two periods so far. The Blues are losing um, seven to two going into the third period. And one minute in, you leave the guy wide open in the slot and he buries it past Jake Allen, who's come in at this time. And it just blows my mind. And that was brought up numerous times by not only media and also um, even the players after the game, Joel Edmondson said it's embarrassing and that we let one guy, let alone a team score five goals. We let one guy score five goals on us. He was and, so wide open so many times that it was laughable that his fourth goal where he just walked in front of the goal, got a rebound, turned around, and roofed it. Mm-hmm. And nobody touched him. Nobody. Just like Armstrong said in his press conference, he said the front row, and that's like 7-11. It's always open. So, I mean, like, I mean, that was probably the best quote he had like out of the press conference. Just saying, man, you built this defense, though. I mean – Everybody, I mean, not one player was great that game no. for the Blues on defense. I mean, you can say moving around Chad Johnson wasn't great. That defense was all over the place. And our, I'll ask you this question because he's been in a ton of trade rumors this year. And, and leading up to this, I never would have thought uh, of trading him. But um, I'm getting to the point if you can get something that's of equal value and might be possible, what's wrong with Colton Pareko? Colton Pareko had a phenomenal rookie year. And has nothing since then. To me, he regressed a little bit last year offensively, but the defense was still there. This year, the offense is still not there, and you're seeing the defense erode. That concerns me. You look at Colton Pareko, and he looks like your dream defenseman. He's big, he's strong, and he's got a shot. On paper, he should be your key component of your blue line. But there's something not happening there. Um, If we could get good return for him, I don't think he's untouchable. At this point. As a matter, as a matter of fact, I would say that today, as we're recording this. Yep, 11 27. 27th. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that he's the first piece that moves. That's uh, not a bad guess, honestly. If you can get something to fill that gap in there, because you like to have that righty-lefty kind of uh, dynamic on defense. But if you get a guy who can play the right side who's left-handed, I mean, I, I don't care at this point. As long as you yeah. can get somebody who plays defense, I'm, I'm really cool with that. But um, I, this isn't me saying I want Colton Pareko traded. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you're going to make trades, you, you again – you're going to have to give to get both in salary wise and in talent with this team. And the piece that everyone's going to have their eyes on right now appears to be Colton Pareko. And if you could ship him out and get something decent in return, that's cap friendly, do it. You've got to start making changes because this as it is, it ain't working. Yeah. I mean, are you at the, uh... I know that you probably heard the trade uh, rumor about 75 million times from Toronto fans. Would you do Colton Pareko straight for William Nylander at this point? Yes. yes. It's, a, it's an interesting trade just because of like how much we got on offense now. But then you can trade one of your guys on offense. Of your that, four, that's yeah. exactly what it is, is. I make that trade knowing that bringing William Nylander in lets me move something on offense out. I think – both sides of the puck need to be addressed for us. And we're going to have to do it via trades because we can't do it with money right now. So I think you end up seeing, if not a three-way trade, you see something like the Mike Hoffman deal when he was moved from Ottawa to San Jose. And then like hours later moved from San Jose to Florida. But I think that you, what you will see is you will see Pareko to Toronto for Nylander and then you'll see somebody from the Blues moved to somewhere else and maybe a defenseman coming back our way or something to help relieve the cap the uh the caps that we're at yeah so we kind of brought up Albright trade I'll bring up another thing so a lot of the teams that have fired their coach so far. Uh, so there's been four coaches fired so far. So that would be Chicago moved on from Quenville. Yep. Uh, this is not a coach, but Philadelphia had fired their GM Ron Hextall today. Yep. Uh, coach helped me out with coach. The Kings yep. fired their coach. Mm-hmm. And I'm missing one more. And I'm not missing. No, just, just those three. Edmonton. Excuse me. Thank you. You should know that Edmonton old friend, uh, Ken Hitchcock is in Edmonton right now after uh, Todd McClellan was fired, literally the same day as the press conference from Mike Yo. So Tuesday yeah. morning, that kind of broke, kind of overshadowed it almost. So you've had uh, four head coaches and a GM gone. Yeah, early in this season, which compared to last year where no coaches were fired all year and during the season. that's really anomaly. Yeah, that was, that was the first time since the expansion, the early expansion years that that's happened. So, um, but all those teams have made some kind of trade. For example, uh, Ryan Strom was de- dealt from Edmonton to the Rangers for Ryan Spooner. Yep. Um, the Kings made a trade with the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are struggling as well. Tanner Pearson for Carl Haglin. Kind of like not core guys, but guys that are sure. decently important. And the one that yesterday happened, the Phoenix Coyotes, once again, trade with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks because they're only two teams that can trade with each other, apparently. Well, um, people say that about the Blues and Buffalo, too. Yeah, that's true. But uh, so Brendan Perlini and uh, Dylan Stroms, two Stroms traded already this year. 
go to Chicago for Nick Schmaltz. So interesting there. So uh, they're kind of shaking up. Dylan Strom is kind of a guy who was a third overall pick and hasn't panned out. Uh, they're trying to reunite him with uh, DeBrunkit because they were played in the OHL together. So maybe they can do something there. So every team has done have a shakeup deal so far. It may some, maybe not core defining kind of like the Eric Johnson kind of trade like that, uh, but some kind of trade. So Elliot Friedman, along with the thing I said earlier, said the Blues are open for business, and there's not too many trades they wouldn't consider. They should be. They should so, be open for business. Which, now, which I thought was a very generic statement when he said it. I was like, of course they are, because they're 30th place. They're top payroll. They're not expecting to be this bad. My question Something's going to happen. I think the list is very short of who is untouchable. Who do you have on that list? Oh, you read my mind because that was my next question to you. So I'll go ahead and go first then. Uh, my list is short just because uh, the one I don't uh, would never trade at all right now because when he's got, when he's been moved up in the lineup and has talent around him, he's done very well, and that's Robert Thomas. I think that's a guy who's going to be a very big piece for you in the very near to long-term future. Mm-hmm. Um Alex Petrangelo, I put on this list, and people will probably say, what are you talking about, Jason? I'm saying it because you don't have an in-house replacement for a guy who can play 25 minutes a game. You can say effectively, not effectively, however you want to say it. He's a Norris guy, and he's having a bad year. In the past, the dude's been top 10, top 5 in Norris voting, so I don't get rid of him unless you have a guy who you think can ascend to that position. And I don't think Colton Pareko is that guy. Sorry, sorry to say. I, don't, I think you give him first line minutes. I think it's not going to be basically your calling of the season. You trade for Trangelo. Um, and my last one is I do really think you have to hold on to Vladimir Tarasenko. How many years have we? How many years? How many years have we bitched about not having a homegrown I agree. goal scorer? And finally, you yeah. have one, and then one, and then all of a sudden you want to get rid of them. I just blows my mind sometimes. It's like why Blues fans can't have nice things. So you have Ryan O'Reilly as a possible trade bait? Oh, sorry. I, I'm, I, like those three, I'm trying to think of just core guys, I guess. Right. Kind of, you know. Oh, obviously O'Reilly's in there. Shen is a huge possibility of getting shipped out due to him having one year left on his contract and him doing so well. And the Blues will not have too many stuff, too many contracts falling off because you're unfortunately going to have Steen and Bozak on their last year when he's up. Right. So, I mean, that's $10 million right there tied up. I mean, that you could give to somebody right. else. But unless you can come out convince Braden Shen to sign, like, a very low deal, one-year deal, and then – but I don't think it's going to happen. He, well, he needs to make his money. So you're kind of stuck unless you can get rid of Steen or Bozak in the last year of their contract. I agree. Uh, so um, my that, I'm pretty much – okay. I mean, and you can, I'm not going to go into, like, minor league guys like Kairou and who no, so and stuff like about that. About I'm, just talk, I'm just talking about – Guys on the current roster. Big show, yeah. Everybody um, else, pretty much, I w- depending on the deal, I would be okay with. Like, I would just say throw these. I'm not just saying trade them to trade them. Like, people are saying, why don't you include Edmondson on your list? I'm like, if you can get something very good for him, like, why not? Because I think he's a, he's a that type of player could be had. I just can't replace a 25-minute defenseman. You can't replace a pure goal scorer. You can't replace a, a guy who's going to be, a, I think, going to be I mean, superstars are too big of a word for Robert Thomas, but it'd be a very, very good player. Who knows? Well, that's what I mean. I've, but just seeing him at a, age 19, I agree. what he's doing right now, I think you have to – I don't think super – like I said, I'm not saying – I don't want to say superstar because you never know how guys pan out after this, well, but he looked, he looked very good. 
and you just cried O'Reilly, and he's your leading goal scorer already. So that's probably my list right there. So what do you got? I, uh, my list is small. It's got a few differences. Um, my untouchables would be Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko, for the same reason you, you said. Um, you make a very good argument, and I put, I'll put Robert Thomas on mine also. Um, outside of that, I don't know if there's anyone on this team that's untouchable. Um, now, if I'm going to ship someone out, like, say, a Petrangelo, I'm not shipping them out for draft picks. I want something real good in return. Yeah. Like a very promising defenseman or a guy who's pretty established. And when I say I want something real good in return, I want someone like, I'm going to say, I got to, I got to think now. Um, Oh, and I got, I got the kid and I can't think of him now. Who's in Columbus. He was in Nashville. Seth Jones. Like I want a Seth Jones or I want someone who's maybe not at the level that Petro is now, but he's on that same arc. Maybe we're just backing the years up a little bit and taking some of the miles off that car. But I want someone who's got the ability to be Petro, but maybe isn't quite there yet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Seth Jones like here last year, and he's an ascending player, so it'd be a tough get. But uh, yeah, I agree there. You got to get somebody who's very good and somebody who could um, eventually ascend to maybe portraying a level. So, and look, I think I said that I think that Colton Pareko is the first dude to go. I'm going to say I'm going to break it down into offensive and defensive guys. I think that defensively, the first dude who could be out the door is Colton Pareko. I'm going to say offensively, the first dude who could be out the door is Jaden Schwartz. Yeah, read my mind. So um, that's where and, I'm at too. Did your glut of luck like, leaders? I like Braden Shed, but I'm kind of with you. I, I don't know if he's the guy that the Blues are going to hitch their wagon to because of the money. I, I hate to see us break up what we have right now down the middle. Um, I, I think that Robert Thomas can be the substitute for Braden Shen. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's there yet, but I have no doubt that he will be. Um, but you figure if we let's, let's play the hypothetical game and say the blues deal Braden Shen. So then you've got to make your top three centers, O'Reilly, Bozak and Thomas. Mm-hmm. So then, who do you have at your fourth line center? Uh, Barbashev, I think is solid. Sunquist has actually surprised me this year. So I, I in the, if you told me this earlier in the season, I would have not said Oscar Sunquist, but I people like I mean the joke like him getting hit by Tom Wilson rattled some hockey sense into him, and he's looked like a really good player this year. So I I would minorly be okay with. I think Barbashev would be a really good fourth line yeah. center. But the problem is, after if you get an injury of any of those guys, like I'd have a problem having Barbershev move up and be like a long term, maybe three C. I mean, he might he might be okay for a little bit, but yeah, uh, 
So, I, I hate to throw this name to someone who could be traded because I think if he does, he might jump off a bridge. Mm. Um, but <laughs> fan favorite David Perron, you might not want to unpack your bags just yet. Yeah, he's got. I think it's like a ten or fifteen team trade. I'll have to look at on cap friendly. But uh, yeah, I thought Jaden Schwartz would be uh, definitely a huge candidate because he's once again he is hurt again. He's week to week, as of Armstrong said in the radio today on KMOX. Uh, supposedly a broken finger is what's been kind of floating around Twitters. Um, I did see somebody, I, I did see some interesting one on hockey futures today. And I, and I think I know you're, I, so I saw this, I was going to bring this up and I thought, uh, I thought of you immediately. Uh, somebody proposed like the blues blow it up. And one of the proposals that somebody threw on there was Jaden Schwartz plus, and then say what the plus was to the New Jersey devils. For Taylor Hall, that's a big plus. That's my thing. The plus would have to be somebody like Robert Thomas if they want to move on, because that he's literally all they got offensive wise over there. Yeah. So if you're if you're doing if you're doing Schwartz, it'd be something like Schwartz, possibly Robert Thomas or Schwartz, Fabry, Cairo, something like that. It's gonna be something yeah. ridiculous. Look, but man. but if you think about it, if you think you're you know, you can't sign because Schwartz is up in a couple of years. If Fabry has a decent year, you got to sign him. And then Kyrou is a guy where, okay, he might turn into a really good player. We don't know yet. Honestly, I think he's going to be a solid guy. But I would do. I would do Schwartz and Shen. That's a big. That's a big. Uh, big price to pay, though. Yeah, but. I look at it as you're effectively swapping Braden Shen and Taylor Hall, and then you're giving yeah. them Jaden Schwartz. Yeah, they would have a, uh, a little more bit, bit of bite to their lineup. I think the Blues. Then, then look at the line you'd be rolling. I mean, you would have uh, because where do you if you don't include Shen in that deal, and say you you give let's say you give them Schwartz and Fabry. Yeah. Where do you play Taylor Hall? You play him on a wing? He's a wing, yeah. So right wing. He's play he plays on off wing for being a lefty. He plays on the right wing. Man, but your right wing problem is solved. You have Tarasenko and Hall as your two top right wingers. I mean, that'd be crazy. But like I said, super far fetched. But I saw that and I thought of you. So uh, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I just think that like that price tag is gonna be ridiculous. Yeah, and yeah, because they would want to try to like flush out their team a little bit if they're giving their superstar up. So uh, they I'd send I'd send them Pat Maroon back. <laughs> if they want Pat Maroon, you're welcome to have him back. So Blues are um, if you heard this before in a tailspin. I think I said that in the last two or three podcasts we've done. Oh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that Pat Maroon got his first goals in blue. Yeah, and he got that as um, it's kind of like the. It, the, the side of game one. Yes, the side the side of the net power play thing. He's tried a lot of the power plays the Blues have had, and it actually worked this time. And he got a goal. Uh, that was the uh, fourth goal in the eight to four loss. So Blues are eight eleven and three going into this week's game, where the schedule kind of slows down a bit. You're playing once again a couple bottom feeding teams here. You're playing Detroit, who's ten eleven and three. At the time of this recording, the Avalanche were ahead of you. Which, if you win the game against the Avalanche, that could be a big. You win these games, man. It's a huge boost. Yeah. 
and you're playing in Arizona. So you got back-to-back games again this weekend. Um, then you play Colorado and Arizona. Then you have some time off before they come back, and Ken Hitchcock returns to St. Louis again to play the Oilers, who have a very not a great record, and then you go back to Winnipeg. God, if you can win some of those games leading to that Winnipeg game and get some momentum, I mean, that's not bad. Not a bad thing. It's, I mean, it's that, funny to think about as bad as this team's been that they're not completely out of it yet. If they just put it like, because look at it, and as this recording, and this is going to make a, like some heads explode, the Buffalo uh, Sabres have won their 10th in a row. Yeah. And are now, now the number one team in the NHL. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, Dalim is a phenomenal talent. Jack Eichel's finally not hurt. You know, Carter Houghton's doing very good at goaltending. I so. was just going to say, there's the one that people are going to, you know, riot in the streets over is that Carter Hutton. And I'm like, look, dude, uh, Carter Hutton is a fine goalie. He's fine. He wouldn't I, have changed. He might have changed one, maybe two games this year. You can say maybe one game. Yes. I, but the rest I, of the time, I, the defense has been so horrid. I had this talk yesterday with a friend of mine from Buffalo who's a huge Sabres fan. He's like, oh, I'm glad you guys gave up on Hutton. And I'm like, it's not that the Blues gave up on Hutton. It is the fact that the Blues have a contract in Jake Allen that's a a hefty contract. That they can't move. That they can't move right now. And Hutton wanted to be a 1A. And I respect and agree with Doug Armstrong's position when it came to Hutton and Allen. Now, look, should Carter Hutton go on to lead this team or lead the Buffalo Sabres to the Stanley Cup? Well, then I'm wrong. I don't think I am. I think that Hutton's a good goalie. I don't think he's great. I don't think he's that big of an upgrade over Jake Allen. I'll be quite honest with you. I think Jake Allen would be doing just as good of a job right now in Buffalo as Carter Hutton is. Yeah, they're doing great defensively. They're doing great all around. There's a lot of problems with this team, and you can't lay it at the feet of Jake Allen right now. Like, yeah, he's let some really crappy ones go. But there's so many problems with this team that to say it's this one person's fault is not fair. Yeah, so Jake Allen... Like I said, I think part of the problem, not the whole problem, unfortunately. The defense is part of the problem. Yeah, the defense has had issues, the offensive issues. We can even break this down even further and say the leadership has been an issue, which Armstrong brought up and said he somebody asked him rate the leadership of this team, and he said below average. And I thought that was telling also. Yep. I I thought that was very telling. And we've gone ad nauseum about that and and what we thought, like if, you know, we really dove into it in the the show we did with Mister Blues Hat. Um, I, I don't think that there's strong leadership in that locker room. I don't. I don't yeah. think that there's anyone who has stood up and said, "Enough. We are we are too damn good to be this damn bad." Yeah, like I said, if you, I, people and say it's kind of interesting with Ryan O'Reilly where. Every team he's gone to ever since the year where Colorado did really well and they won the division, ever since then, every team he's been on has finished like near the bottom of the league. Like, Dude. it's it, it, it's not been him, man. It's just it's been like kind of like weird coincidence, you know? It is. 
it's and that's the other conversation that my buddy from Buffalo and I had as he called me. The first thing he said is he goes, Do you think at some point Ryan O'Reilly has to go see a psychiatrist and go, Is it me? Because full disclosure, and I don't think we've ever had this conversation on the show, but you and I have had it off air, where I said in the years leading up to us getting O'Reilly, I was never a big proponent of Ryan O'Reilly. I always felt like he was that guy who had really good stats on really bad teams. And that can be deceiving. That can make you Ryan Miller. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's not hard to be the statistical leader on a team that wins 15 games. And I kind of always thought that that's who Ryan O'Reilly was. That he was that guy who was Lord of the Flies. He was an above average player on below average teams. I have since changed my view on him. He is as good as advertised. Here's my concern with Ryan O'Reilly now, because he did it in Colorado. And he did it in Buffalo. When the honeymoon period is over and he's not winning games, he becomes very vocal and very malcontent in the locker room. Mm. To the point that it's the reason why Colorado and Buffalo both traded him out of their teams. I think the older that Ryan O'Reilly gets, the shorter that honeymoon period is going to get on teams. And no one in a million years saw this Blues team being as piss poor as they are this year. At what point does Ryan O'Reilly start pulling the same crap here that he pulled in Colorado and he pulled in Buffalo? I don't necessarily think it's this season, but if, if they don't fix stuff, and we go into another year like this year, I don't think that it might not be next year. Yeah. Question. Uh, Last thing before we get into wrap things up here. At this point, we're about mm, the quarter mark of the uh, season, which is usually, like I said, Thanksgiving. The Blues are finished 30th out of 31 teams right now. Not that far from last. Um, the Blues do technically will have the first round pick. It's top 10 protected. I'll give out Doug Armstrong props on that, at least for at least keeping their pick when it's going to be piss poor. Say the Blues do, they're still doing poorly. They're doing poorly now. Point I'm asking is when do we sit there and say, let's just tank the rest of the way so we can get Jack Hughes? Who's supposed to be I mean, maybe not, not a Conor McDavid type of guy or like Sidney Crosby type draft, but you're talking maybe. Uh, Jack, Jack Eichel, uh, you know, Taylor Hall, like really, really good player. Sorry, I'm, I'm over here with my dog farting in my face every 30 uh, seconds. Cute. Um, um, I mean, dude, I think we're getting close. I mean, you've already you've already heard the lose for Hughes chance start in Chicago. Yeah, and Chicago has lost. Uh, I think they won two in the last 13 or something like that. And guess what? Guess who they're against? I know. I know. So it's one of those things where it's getting close to time, like uh, where it's going to be interesting to see how the Blues do the rest of the way. Uh, God, I, I, I'm at part of the point where I kind of 
it's still early, but if they, if we go through December playing 500 hockey or less, I'm pretty much ready for them to call a season. Just oh yeah, if we if if we go through December, we finish 2018 no better than we are now. Wrap it up, wrap yeah, it up. Let's just get it God, over with and just God help us. God help us as Blues fans if the Chicago Blackhawks win the lottery and get Hughes. Oh, God. I, I did see that with the Nick Schmaltz trade, that's one last guy they have to sign in the offseason. I just saw an article today, which they said they have plenty of cap room, and they said maybe they go – they, that's what they said. Would it be crazy if the Blackhawks get the first overall pick, get Jack Hughes, and then sign our Timmy Panarin? I, I think a lot of Blues fans' heads would explode. Do you think he wants to go back? I, I don't know, man. I truly don't. I don't. But I'm just saying that was the scenario the guy said, and I was just like – my head would explode. I'll be honest. Just like they get the really good player and Archim Panera comes back. Man, don't get yeah. me wrong. They have other issues in that team, but they get two really, really good players to help get bringing them back to prominence. I mean, it just seems too perfect, you know, too perfect of a story. That's all. Well, look, the good news is if that would happen and they would get Jack Hughes and sign Panarin back, maybe they would finally get the respect they need and get a winter classic. I mean, it may be nice, you know. They would yeah, bring fans in finally if they haven't been showing up at all. And They're due. They're if there due. is one team in this league that is due to finally have an outdoor game, it's the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they could – they had trouble trying to find a jersey. I mean, they have, like, you know, a bunch of options they figure out and or anything like that. So, anyway. So, let's wrap it up there. So, like we said – once again, kind of hard to be positive. It just seems like that's the trend this year. So let's hope they start to turn it around this week. And with Bay in charge, maybe you'll start to see some different uh, systems in place. Maybe a new coach by the end of the year. I don't think we're going to get a coach before the end of the year, honestly. I'd be surprised. Uh, but even even with Bay sounding like he was a placeholder, I think that's just a placeholder for the rest of this year. And they might wipe the slate clean next year and bring in all new people again and just start it all over. And it's be like a lost year, be like a lost season. Yeah. So, wrap it up there. If you want to get a hold of us on Twitter, it's at Blues Hockey NHL. I'm at Hossapalooza. And also on Facebook, it's Blues Hockey Podcast. And on Instagram, Blues Hockey Podcast. And if you'd like to listen to us and leave a review at your respective uh, place that you uh, listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play and YouTube, and most importantly, our website, blueshockeypodcast.com and .net. I think that's about all we got. And I think we've been so negative, Chris. You know what we need to do? Mm. I think it's time to bring it back. Hall of Shame time. I think it's time for the Bring Back the Blues Hall of Shame. So I will put it out there on Twitter uh, when this podcast goes up. And on the next episode, we will uh, induct a new member into the Blues Hockey Hall of Shame. Oh, so uh, right now. And, my, and we're not going to – it's not going to be this, t- this team so far. Yeah. Uh, yet. 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 We might uh, – Mike Yo might be up there for a nomination. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Doug Armstrong. Who knows? So we'll throw some stuff out there. We'll come up with some names, and uh, I'll throw them out there on Twitter later this week. So hopefully we'll uh, get some wins this week and be more positive. I'd rather do that than be negative. So we'll Me see. Too, man. I would like to have one week – where we have a positive record for the week. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet, so let's hopefully uh, we start this week. So 
like I said, they play a little road trip here. Uh, although news I almost forgot to leave out. Uh, Robert Portuzo and Alexander Cena are going on this road trip. So that means there's a possibility they could come back. Hey, man, it's, it's better than nothing. I think Port- I think Portuzo's thing, I think, hell, I, I thought I think I never would say this, but I really look forward to Robert Tuzo coming back and help stabilize the defense. Weird. I'm going to pull that quote, and I'm going to remember that for later in the year. Hey, man, the way things are going, he can't do any worse. Eight goals against last game. That's Agreed. Agreed. So can't do too much worse than that. So we'll wrap it up there, and we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.